From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed basement with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and ah, your cabin in the woods. Ali Siadatan is here to explain what the end of days or the end times really means. The Bible speaks of seven distinct ages. All that is written from Genesis to Revelation relates to one or more of these ages. Everything God has done is doing and will do must be understood in the context of the ages. So we're going to touch on some of these ages and then get into the end of days. What does that mean? What will happen during the end of days? What comes afterwards? Ali Siadatan is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence, keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. In 2006, Think Again Productions released the groundbreaking documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods on Google Video, and it received over a quarter million views in just nine months. Again, the documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods, and his other documentary, Goliath Rising, Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans, can be uh, viewed for free at thinkagainproductions.com. Ali, always great to have you here. How are you, my friend? Fine. Thank you, Richard. Very good to be here. Very excited to uh, share this knowledge with your and your audience tonight. Okay, so before we get to the end of days, when we talk about biblical ages, what does that mean? What is a biblical age? Well, the Bible divides the administration of God's plans for the human world into periods of time, through ages of history. Other cultures have this notion as well. We saw it with the Mayan calendar, you know, that, you know, there was, we were about to enter a new age. Dates like 2012, 2020, I mean, these are all with dates that people threw around. The age of Aquarius, you know, we hear things like that. Well, the Bible also divides history in ages. It goes back to the very first chapter of the very first book. It says that in the fourth phase, the fourth day of the creation story, God ignites the biological clock that underlies all life processes. As the Earth enters into its orbit, it says that suddenly we have this idea of seasons and of years. And so everybody knows what a year is. And a season, the word that's there translated as season, is moedim, which means appointed times. So we are told that in the fourth phase of the creation story, God creates this orbit, you know, the planet turning around itself around the sun, and now we have the possibility of having a calendar. That is the first time where this idea of the measurement of time and seasons of time and appointed times, it's mentioned in the very first page of the Bible, in the very first chapter, this is when the whole thing begins, which essentially signals that even when the earth itself was conceived, before any animals or humans walked on it, God, in his foreknowledge, 
had already seen all the ages of human history. And so he's pointing to the fact that there will be such things. There will be times, there will be times that are important to me, there will be different ages of history. And then as the book begins to unfold, God begins to unveil what these ages are and even tells them to us before they occur so we are prepared and we have a sense of destiny and a sense of destination. So I mentioned, I believe there are seven distinct ages in the Bible, correct? Well, you know what, the truth is there are many ways you can kind of cut and slice them depending on what you say is the beginning of one age and what is the end of another one. For me, there are three that stand out as very macro time frames. One goes from the time of Adam all the way to the time of Abraham. That is the first age of biblical history, and it's kind of a chaotic age. Things fall apart. We have the three pillars of the fallen world that are introduced to us. So one is what happens in the Garden of Eden, and man begins a great exile from the presence of God. Two, we see this plan that talks about the fallen angels coming and, you know, entering into relations with the daughters of Adam, having children with them, passing kind of corrupt knowledge down to them and creating a kingdom. And this is going to be kind of a heartbeat throughout history. And the third thing is after the flood, when the nations are gathered together to build this tower that reaches all the way to heaven, the Tower of Babel, whatever it may be, it might have been even some sort of a technology that can leave the earth and go to heaven, because Babel means the gate of the gods, Babylonia, the, the, the city of Babylon. Its name, Bab, means gate. Iloni means gods. It means the gateway to the gods. Perhaps it was a gate of some kind that led to the heavens. Anyhow, in that time, God confuses the human languages and you know casts the nations out of his presence because they were all one family and they knew him at that time. But then he creates a certain sense of confusion and national identities emerge as the family divides into 70 nations. So these are kind of the three pillars of the fallen world. They're, these are the three problems that God will have to fix in the rest of history to heal the human race and to reestablish it. The events of the Garden of Eden the corruption introduced into human DNA by the fallen angels, you know, will require a new body. Humanity will eventually have to be given a new body, and that's what I think the resurrected body of Christ is about. And the casting out of the nations, as the nations kind of leave the presence of God and they get confused, at some point they must come to know God again. You know, and somehow there's going to be a hero in our story in the future that's going to perhaps make all of that possible. So that's the first age. The second age begins with Abraham. And God meets Abraham, and he tells him right after chapter 11, which is the chapter all the families of the earth are dispersed from the presence of God, in chapter 12, the very next chapter, we meet the character through whose life the solution to what we saw in the first age, the age of chaos, the solution of the whole matter is going to start now through this character. There's a reason he's introduced right after chapter 11, because that signals the age of chaos is done, and now God is going to reestablish order and light. And so God says to Abraham, you know, go away from your country and from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then God says to him, 
And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And here is the mission statement essentially for the second age of biblical story. Right here, this covenant, these are the things that God sets out to do over the course of the the centuries, from the time of Abraham all the way to the day of, I would say, Pentecost and the destruction of the Second Temple and, you know, the days where Jesus comes to the earth, the Second Age takes us essentially from Abraham to Jesus. Are these biblical ages, are they clearly delineated either in the Bible or are they accompanied by signs in the skies, like we hear about, you know, blood moons and comets, or we hear about eclipses. Are they delineated in that fashion? They are incredible declarations, like the one I just mentioned, of God coming and declaring this covenant to Abraham. After he's dispatched the families of the earth, he says, in you all the families will be blessed. Well, which families? Well, the ones that were sent packing in the previous chapter. So this is a major shift in the story and declares a new rhythm, something we haven't seen so far. Everything has kind of been going downhill so far from the days of Adam to the days of Abraham. This is the first time where we're getting kind of a change in the narrative that points to a significant shift in the way history is going to move forward and order will emerge And from here we see the events of Mount Sinai and the giving of God's law and the birth of an entire nation that is chosen out of all the nations to carry God's purposes. And then in this particular age, God reveals that there will be four empires of great significance and that at the end of the final empire, he will usher in a new age. He explains that through a dream that he gives King Nebuchadnezzar. And these four empires are the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the fourth one is the Roman Empire, in which we still live. The eagles of Rome stand tall from Moscow to D.C., and you can see it, you know, the, the czars of Russia, well, that's the Slavic term for Caesar. You know, in German it's Kaiser. We, in English, say Caesar which perhaps is the closest to the Latin. And the eagles, uh, the symbol of Rome, and and the West continues to be the greatest power of the world. Uh, Rome has continued. It just has entered into its technological stage. And so the Greco-Roman system of democracy, the Senate, all of these things continue to be with us. Even the languages that we speak come from Latin and come from Greek. Our philosophies, our worldviews, you know, we are very much still in that fourth empire that God predicts. So that's another way, you know, that God sends a signal that, hey, there's going to be these empires, and then I'm going to bring in a new age. So that's another signal, and there are more we can talk about. Right. Okay, so that brings us to, I guess, the main focus of tonight's discussion, and that is the end of days. How is that described in the Bible. Are they, is it called end of days? We tend to refer to them as the end times. What's the proper description or verbiage here? 
Well, since the Bible begins in the Hebrew language, uh, you know, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and that's kind of the foundation of the worldview that Scripture presents. The words in Hebrew is acharit hayamim. Acharit means end. Hayamim means days, end of days. Um, it's mentioned in the book of Genesis in chapter 49. You know, I guess that's the first time it's mentioned. It has a very important mention in the scroll of the prophet Daniel uh, in the 12th chapter, where this angel comes and gives him a great prophecy about something. And at the end, the angel says to him, you know what? Seal this prophecy because it is for the end of days. And in Hebrew, it would say, Acharit Hayamim. So it's pointing to the fact that this particular message will have relevance in this age. And before we kind of get into the last age of history, because, you know, this last age of history is perhaps the most exciting one in some ways, because there is no more ages of corrupt history predicted. After this final age, what comes is an age of peace, an age that God himself establishes on the earth and rules out of, and we're going to, our story is going to lead us there. So this is the end of days is a very exciting age because it is the final of all the ages. But what happens in the previous age, the one just before it, there's a few key events that occur in the age of Abraham to Jesus that are very important. God declares, you know, the, the nation of Israel and these four empires. Then he declares what is called a Davidic covenant. He says that he's, uh, he takes a, a human household, the line of King David, and he declares that somehow one of David's sons will become an eternal king of an eternal kingdom, and that that is the only throne on earth that heaven considers to be legitimate. So that's an interesting thing to watch for, because Gabriel says to Mary that your son is the one that God spoke of. And then there is this incredible prophecy given by Daniel, the prophet, about their 77 years decreed over Israel and over Jerusalem. And apparently in the 69th of these seven-year periods, so imagine instead of counting a year as one, imagine you counted seven years as one week. 14 years as two weeks, 21 years as three weeks. So you kind of put seven years together to form a single week of years. So God declares that on the 69th of these weeks of years, the Messiah will be killed, not for himself. And then the temple and the city will be destroyed. And he tells this to Daniel at a time where the first temple has not been rebuilt and the city is not inhabited by Jewish people. They're in exile in Babylon and in Persia. And God already tells Daniel about a time where the temple and the city will be destroyed for a second time, right after the Messiah is killed. And he even gives him the period of time in which this will occur. So you can see how God is dividing time and declaring the things that were going to happen in certain seasons that he has preordained for history itself. It seems like it's a very precise timepiece, God's clock. It's like he winds it up, it's set in motion. Is there anything that can interrupt 
the progression of these ages? Can no. they be delayed? Can you hit the snooze button? You can't. Everything is always moving towards fulfilling them. You know, God has given us free will. We are not robots, and he doesn't want us to be robots. And anyone who has kids understands free will, because your kids don't do what you ask of them to do. Not always, because free will is how God wants it to be. He doesn't want to force us to love him. He wants to give us a choice. But he has put parameters for what he's created, or everything would really go out of whack, and we wouldn't have any hope. He, he said, look, there's a plan of healing and of redemption and of restoration, and there is a forward movement. So in this second great age of history, from Abraham, you know, to Jesus, these are the events that happen. A nation is born. Four empires are decreed. A Davidic kingdom is spoken of that will be an eternal kingdom. A Messiah is talked about who will die. And even a second temple that will be destroyed. And Jerusalem, which was once destroyed by the Babylonians, will be destroyed for a second time, initiating another dispersion of the Jewish people. All of these things were spoken to occur in the great second age of history, which begins with the declarations that God makes to Abraham and continues forward, moving forward. And so now I think we can now get into the final ages, which are the more exciting ones, and especially the ones that concern us since we live in them. And we live in a very specific time that much is spoken about. We live in a very specific period of the final age. So it's very exciting. Well, we're just about two minutes away from our break, so let's just begin. We'll dip our toes into this and we'll continue after. When does the end times begin? Is it precise? Yes, it is. It is precise because it is something that Peter declares it. When on the day of Pentecost, which is called Shavuot by the Hebrews, who were given this entire commandment, that on this particular day they are to keep an appointed day, you know, that's another thing. There are all these appointed days. God says, you know, you have the Passover. When, you, when this particular day comes on the calendar, make sure you keep this appointed day. Well, Jesus is crucified on Passover. Now we realize that the appointed days of the Hebrew calendar that God had ordained on his calendar were, in fact, each one a prophetic day that God had preordained an event of incredible spiritual importance that would be of significance for the entire human race and for Israel would occur on each one of these appointed days, like seals that would be unlocked. And so this itself is kind of pointing to the importance of this idea of ages and timings. So Passover, Jesus gets crucified. He's in the tomb during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He comes out of the tomb on the Feast of First Fruits, three of the appointed days of Moses' calendar, and then 50 days later on Shavuot, which is Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is released, and that is the Feast of the Harvest, you know, when the harvest of the faithful begins. And so it is on this day that, dipped in the Holy Spirit, like filled with it, Peter, who is just a fisherman, not an educated fellow, from the Galilee region, he gets up and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. 
and he's talking about those who are young in the faith and old in the faith. I've got to jump in here, Ali, because we're uh, up against a break. We'll come back and continue to discuss the beginning of the end, the end times. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay tuned for more. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Before we get back to my conversation with Ali Siadatan regarding the biblical ages and, of course, the end times or end of days, just a quick note for those of you who would like to become an official uh, donor to the program or to all of my work, really, at Strange Planet Productions, this radio show, my podcast, the YouTube channel, patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet you may have noticed in the youtube live stream if we haven't done it already we will soon there's a crawl there where we place the names of some of our our donors and if you become a donor you can see your name as part of our appreciation for your support it will uh, crawl during the live stream and uh, also you'll receive the rock and roll twilight zone you'll receive an episode of the rock and roll twilight zone that's my old podcast that i did with Chris Jericho from the WWE. The podcast goes out once a month to uh, some of those, depending on the tier that you're in. So go to patreon.com slash strange planet. Pick the, the tier that's right for you. Any amount, of course, is greatly appreciated, and it helps us continue the work that we do here. Also, just wanted to mention, I'm not sure if you caught it last Tuesday, the debut of my new program on uh, Saga 960 AM. And uh, it's uh, weekdays from 4 to 6 p.m., news and opinion and uh, interviews. Again, it's Saga, S-A-U-G-A, as in Mississauga, 9.60 a.m., and I'll be back Tuesday uh, with a brand new show, 4 to 6 p.m. All right, Ali, so after the crucifixion, really, we're, here we are 2,000 years later, You've sort of described these as the birth pangs of these end of days. Why such long stretches of time between ages? Why does the end of days take over 2,000 years? Okay, so the last age of biblical history is called the end times. So the answer to the question, what is the end times, is it is the last age of biblical history before God establishes his own kingdom on the earth. That's, first of all, what the end times is. Two, when does it begin? Well, according to Peter, it begins on the day of Pentecost. So the last age of human history in the Bible is called the end times, Acharit Hayamim. And it began on the Feast of Shavuot, on one of the appointed days of God's cyclical yearly calendar. God had picked a day that the Jews were to perform certain rituals on and come to Jerusalem on this particular one. That's why all these Jews had come to Jerusalem from all over the Middle East. And on that day, God releases His Holy Spirit, which brings the instructions of God, the Torah of Adonai, into the hearts of people. And Peter gets up under the influence of that Spirit and declares that we have just entered into the final age of human history, we have just entered into the last days. So that is when it begins. Now, this was something that was on the mind of the disciples of Jesus and Jesus, because we see it in the conversations leading to this. 
In Matthew chapter 24, it's recorded that they say to him, you know, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And the end of the age. So they're asking him, what will be the signs that will say that the present age has ended? Haze olam, like, which is the present age. So they're asking him, what are the signs that the present age has ended? And what they're really saying to him is that the age of empires is going to end, that the Roman Empire will fall and, and their pagan ways will collapse, and your kingdom will rise, and you will be the king of Israel, and your instructions will go out into the whole world. When is this going to happen? That's what they're asking him, and that's they're declaring that event as the beginning of a new age and the end of the previous age. So the way they're asking him the question is, what are the signs of the end of this age? Right. And so this is Matthew, right? Ages. This is in Matthew where Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be again, you know, just before my return. Yeah, yeah. So he gives them a big speech. He answers them by explaining to them, you know, these are the things that are going to happen, and he goes on into details. It's interesting for me that the way they frame the question to him shows that they had an understanding of the idea of biblical ages, because they frame the question in that language. And when he comes back from the dead, they say to him, okay, they see him, and this is in Acts chapter 1, they see him and they say to him, okay, Lord, are you now going to establish the kingdom of Israel? They ask him that. It's in, it's in the New Testament. And he says, well, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that God has set up for such things. Essentially, God, the Bible had taught, you know, the Old Testament, that God decides the times and seasons of the fall and rise of kingdoms. And so he's saying to them, look, again, that's not for you to know the time for that, but you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit to come over you. And he he tells them, what their next step is. And we're told that not even him, nor the angels in heaven, know the exact time that God has ordained for asking his son to return to the earth. That that is a mystery that God holds close to his heart. So after he comes back from the dead and he's ascending, the final commandment that he gives, which is called the Great Commission, and it's very, a very important commandment to, to the Church and to believers, he says to them, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, he brings up the con- this idea of the age. The disciples say to him, what are the times of the end of the present age? Then when he comes back from the dead, they say, okay, is it now? Are you going to establish the kingdom now and shut down the Roman Empire and the age of empires? And then he then says, no, the time for that hasn't come yet. He doesn't say he's not going to do it. He says the time for that hasn't come yet. God knows when that's going to occur. Meanwhile, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and declare me to all the nations. Remember, at this point, this is a very Jewish story. Jesus is Jewish. He's in Jerusalem. That's where he dies and comes back to life. That's where the disciples are gathered for the last Passover meal. 
where they receive the Holy Spirit in the very same room where they have the Passover meal. They're all in Jerusalem, and they're all Jewish. And for a few decades, virtually Christianity is going to be a Jewish movement. And now he's telling them, no, 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 you're going to go out and you're going to tell the rest of the world. So in the past 2,000 years, in this last days, which began at Pentecost, according to Peter, one of the things that has been happening is that people from all around the world, from all different nations, from all different generations of the human race, have come into the world, their souls have been born into the world, and then they have come to know who their savior and who their king is. And in this way, they have earned uh, themselves a place in the eternal kingdom which is coming. They will have a role to play in the future of the universe. And in other words, everybody, before he can come back uh, during the end times, everybody around the world has, has to have an opportunity to either accept or reject no, this, Jesus. the age no? called the end times began 2,000 years ago. We have been in the end times for 2,000 years, according to the Bible. Right, right. And in this period of, in this 2,000-year period, there's a few things that are going to occur. One of them is that he will be presented to all the nations, as you're saying, and people will be given the chance to come to him or not. That's one of the things. Right. That will happen, and a portion of the Jewish people were blinded to him. That a portion of the people from the nations, that a portion of the Gentiles, would receive sight. There's, there's kind of even, even in in this period of of waiting, where where some of the Jewish people, you know, were blinded to who he was. Um, they were still serving him in their blindness because this allowed sight to be given to a portion of the Gentiles, fulfilling the promise that God had made in the previous age to Abraham, that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. And that's what we're seeing, that in the son of Abraham, in Jesus, you know, the Messiah, the Christ, all the families of the earth are being blessed. And so the promise that God had sown into history in the previous age is now being reaped in this final age. We'll pick up on that point on the other side. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. The end of days. More on the other side. Stay with us. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. So I want to uh, wrap up this discussion on the end of times before we run out of time. And, and time is uh, ticking here, Ali. So let's just uh, get right to sort of the so crux of the issue in terms of... So then what happens is one of the great things is as this whole end times, the last age of history is unfolding, God then begins to give us a huge amount of information about the very end of the end times, which is the transition of history from this final age to his actual kingdom that he will come and establish on the earth. This is what the Bible teaches. Often when we think about, you know, when Christians talk about, about Jesus, they go, well, you know, you've believed in him, you're going to go to heaven. But the Bible itself talks barely about, rarely, about the concept of heaven. It actually talks a lot about prophecies and promises about the land of Israel. So, the, so, so suddenly we have this period of history, which is the very end of the end times, which is the period of transition of this age into the next. And in our culture, 
that has been popularized as end times. So when we, when we in our culture say, let's talk about the end times, what we really are meaning is let's talk about the final end of the end times age. Right, the last seven years, right? The three yeah, and a half years of tribulation years, and Jacob's troubles. Exactly, the Jacob's troubles. And, and then the three and a half years within that, the last three and a half years of history is going to be very uh, uh, difficult. You know, it's like that final moment of birth when something is being pushed out. So what, what are we to expect in this time of transition? Well, it is an unfolding revelation from God. He's opening our minds as we go to the details of prophecy. But so far, when you look at this period of history and you look at all the writings that talk about this period of transition from this age into the next, they all involve events in the Middle East um, and the land of Israel and Jerusalem, the city, and even the Temple Mount. And so when people started to see this around, you know, even the 17th century, but the 19th century was a big time for this, people in the Christian world said, wait a second, if this is true, then sometime in the future the Jewish people will return to this land. That's going to happen, because that's what it says right here. It was around the 19th century that people began to actually consider that. So it's very important to understand that for the longest time, that wasn't part of the conversation of Christian thought. And as people began to, to, to see that, uh, there was lots of, you know, um, um, uh, movement in that direction, even by people who, in, in the British Empire, Christians felt that God was putting it on their heart to help out in making that happen. And, and among the Jewish people, gradually this idea of returning to that land also took, you know, steam, and it really it was the Holocaust that pushed everything over and into place. And the two world wars, one took the land away from the, the hand of the caliphate that had it, and the second world war, you know, delivered it essentially into the hands of the Jewish people. So suddenly... All of these writings that talked about this period of transition that involved the Middle East and involved Jerusalem suddenly came into focus in a very real way in the second half of the 20th century. For the first time, we could imagine that it was actually going to happen. And so that's you know something that people keep an eye on because there's events prophesied concerning the Middle East, and, and that's one place of interest. And there's a few other very important landmarks that we are now seeing emerge out of biblical writings as God continues to open it. The end of it, where is it all going to go? Well, apparently there's going to be, if you will, a third world war. There's going to be a final conflict that involves Jerusalem. There's going to be an, a, a nemesis like we haven't seen for, for a long time, the famed Antichrist. He's going to come to power. He is going to enter the city of Jerusalem. There is going to be a final conflict, and it is in that during that conflict that Jesus and his angels' armies return from the heavens. It says with their chariots to the earth and bring peace to the world and dispel this this war. And it says that Jesus then establishes a kingdom on the earth, and that is now the messianic kingdom, which is, you know, this, 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 this other age, where he will rule from the city of Jerusalem, where there will be a time of peace on the earth, where even contrary predators and prey will get along, that those who believed in him will receive a new and eternal body, and those who died knowing him will come back from the dead, 
and this entering, is a period of a thousand years of peace, right? The millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom, the eternal body of, uh, will be given to the believers. A government will be established from the city of Jerusalem where the boundaries that God promised Abraham uh, that he would have from the east of the river Euphrates until this river in Egypt, that has never been had by, by Israel but in Messiah's kingdom, that will be the seat of his government. There will be a temple built out of which he will rule, and he will then administer his justice and his law over all the nations from Jerusalem. And those who have come to him in this life will earn a place in that kingdom and an eternal body, as it seems that those who have not known him will continue to be born and die and live under his rule and in this age of peace, in this Sabbath of history. All of these marvelous things are laid out beforehand for us, and the ages of history are spoken in God's Word as a guide to the human race. It's powerful, I think, and incredible to look into. All right, we'll take in one final time out, come back. We'll get to a few questions on our YouTube live chat. Alicia at 10, Think Again Productions, discussing the end of days. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right, Ali, I'm going to hit you with a few quick questions and uh, just give me a real quick answer if you can, and then we'll get to some uh, questions here. I want to ask you about uh, this debate that rages in the Christian community, uh, and depending on what, I guess, branch of Christianity uh, you're from, you have a different answer. And that's the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture, that the that Bible-believing Christians, people that have accepted Jesus will be, they'll get to avoid the nastiness of the, the tri- tribulation when hell is unleashed on earth, they will be raptured up into heaven before all of that nastiness begins. What are, what are your thoughts on that quickly? I think that's an evolving thing in the way people are thinking about it. And there was a time where that was really the only answer for all the people that looked into end times. But I think that, that there's more and more doubt about that. And, uh, there is definitely the rapture is definitely a biblical doctrine. It's a, it's we're all going to be raptured. That's in the Bible 100 percent, and it's in that moment that we get our new bodies. But the timing of it is up for debate. I think it's it's probably closer to actually his second coming itself rather than than sometime before it. All right. The other one is, of course, whenever we discuss end of days, we talk about the mark of the beast. And uh, this is in Revelation where uh, you won't be able to buy or sell without a mark on your right hand or your forehand. Uh, sorry, your forehead. Uh, but if you take the mark, uh, basically, uh, that's, you know, you're damned eternally. Um, but yes. how will we know what the mark is? And if we take it inadvertently, uh, we, we don't necessarily know what it is. Well, will be, it's, will be... it's, um, it's the final world leader uh, so who administers it. So I think that I think that God is in communication with us through His Holy Spirit and through His angels. So when when this guy comes to power, I know there's lots of theories: is it this guy, is it that guy? But once we see him and the kind of power he is going to have, and even some of the miracles, you know, the lying signs and wonders that he's going to do. I think there'll be enough evidence that, that there'll be huge uh, and deep uh, and universal understanding among those who have a mind for these things that this is the guy. So that's how we'll know it. And second of all, it's a very precise prophecy. You can't buy, 
sell or do commerce. Well, you know, whenever someone comes and says, here, this is what you have to take, and if you don't take it, you can't do these three things, then you know that's the mark. All right, and if you don't take it, you starve, right? I mean, in other words, you have to choose. It's going to be, really, death. You'll either be persecuted, like uh, you'll have your head cut off, according to some accounts. There's a guillotine in your future. Or you will choose to take the mark, and therefore you will be excluded from society, and you'll starve to death. Or you take the mark, and you survive, but you're eternally damned. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I understand. Basically, God will provide a way for those who don't take the mark. Uh, he'll provide a way. It's like it's like he he built an ark to take people to the flood. You know, they put these guys. The king of Babylon said, "If you don't, you have to worship my statue and sacrifice to it," which is in line with this type of thing because this is about allegiance and worship. It's not about commerce. It's about allegiance and worship. And and when the uh, friends of Daniel said, "No, we're not going to do that," he said, "I'm going to." Th- throw you in these furnaces they had, which was very hot. And when they put them in the furnace, this angel came and protected them so that nothing happened to them. And actually the king ended up, you know, worshipping the god of Daniel. So God will provide a way. We, we, we don't have to know everything. Once we get closer to it, you, God will provide a way for those who will not take the mark, whether it's that he will reinforce us in the spirit, so, you know, we'll have peace in our hearts and minds, or he will actually provide loopholes that allow us to survive and live, because it'll be very the very end of history. I think that's something that's going to happen, perhaps in the last three and a half years of of the end of the end times. So it's a very short thing, you know. I mean, look, we've had two years of COVID, right? It's it's a short thing. We'll live through it. All right. Sigma six on the YouTube live chat asks, does all uh, do you, Ali, think that the word the word replenish in Genesis one is hinting at the fact that Earth was wiped out before that? No. All right. <laughs> uh, do you want to elaborate on that just a little bit before we move on? Or? Well, the, uh, the Earth itself, it seems to have been a planet, the one that we're on. You know, maybe there was another planet in the solar system where Mars and Jupiter exist, where the solar, where the asteroid belt is, that was destroyed in order to, for Earth to be created. And there are reasons that I can't get into that, that I'm saying that. But the, the planet in which we stand, its destiny and record, the six days of creation are all blessed. God says this is all good, this is all great. He introduces vegetation, so we have oxygenation. He puts the planet in orbit. Then he introduces, you know, uh, the sea life, the air life, the continental life, and finally the human life and the Adamic race. And so it's all good. We don't see any devastation. Then man leaves the garden and enters into the world and begins to set up the uh, original empires and all that. So we we don't have any point. The story doesn't have any gaps in it. Um, if there was any other destruction before the Earth itself occurred on the in the solar system, that's possible. Uh, whether other planets of the solar system were subject to something because they, you know, they were inhabited. Some say Mars. You know, Satan lived on Mars and God destroyed it. I don't know. But Earth itself, I see that there's a direct line of history drawn for us in which there is, there is no such thing as a destruction and replenishing. It, it has never occurred in the known hi- biblical right. history. 
And so, and very quickly before I, I get one more question in here, when we talk about end times and the end of days, we're not talking about the destruction of the world, right? No, it's just not the at all. end of an age. It's just the end of an age. I'm so glad you said that because in the common culture, I remember I used to, you know, Armageddon, oh, that's the end of the world. No, it is the end of all that is wrong with the world the famine and exploitation and corruption and disease and death and human governments that are not as good as God's government, and even the fallen angels whose, you know, chariots and UFOs people see all around the world, all of that is cleaned out. Even Satan is bound and put in chains, and he's behind the nations. He's called the prince of this world. Well, we're going to have a new prince. And so it is the end of this period of human history. Now everything has been settled. All the souls that are to know God have been born into the world. God is done, and now there's going to be a new age of peace. And I was just reading in Zechariah chapter 14, one of the last books of the Old Testament, where it talks about Jesus coming and, and, and destroying these armies that come against Jerusalem and establishing his kingdom. And then the prophet takes us into his kingdom, and it says, Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, which means the armies of heaven, and to keep the Feast of Booths, one of the appointed days of God, the final appointed day in the biblical calendar of Moses, that will be activated on in his kingdom. That has been hidden for that kingdom. It is the Feast of the Ingathering. That's what it's called. All the nations are gathered to Jerusalem to worship the King, And other passages in the Bible describe that kingdom as a beautiful and peaceful place where natural predators and prey live in harmony together, and the child plays in the asp's nest. So it's a new age of history. That's all Armageddon is. It's the birth pangs that usher in the greatest of ages. And you want to pledge allegiance to the Lord now to have an eternal place in that kingdom coming. Uh, YY Anella uh, in the YouTube live chat. How many people now alive are Nephilim or have Nephilim ancestries, and are these people able to receive salvation? Good question. I think it's deep. I think that the parable of the wheat and tares, which I think is addressing the Nephilim infiltration into human world, says that the tares are so widespread among the wheat that if one is pulled out, the other will be destroyed. Like if God pulled out your granddaddy, then you might never be born. So I think that the infiltration of the Nephilim DNA is much wider spread than the idea of just the characters we meet in the Bible. And that's why one of the things that the Messiah brings to the table is a resurrected body, a new body, a one whose DNA is no longer corrupted by this. So we are all able to, you know, receive the word and accept it in faith. God knows who's who. And the new body will take care of any DNA corruption. And let us remember that in the great prophecy of Isaiah about the Messiah, one of the titles given to him, he's the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, but he's also called El Gibor, which means, you know, the mighty you know, warrior. And, and that is one of the titles given to the Nephilim in Genesis 6, the Giborim. That's because it's signaling that he will even redeem us from that, uh, in his uh, destiny, in his body, in his life. Even that he will redeem, and he will become even the mightiest, uh, uh, you know, uh, of all the mighty ones, and he will redeem us of that. So we don't have to worry about who's got it, who hasn't. I think it's widespread. The point is, in him, you have a solution even to that. 
All right, Ali, always a pleasure. A whirlwind tour. You got it all in under an hour. Uh, Brilliant. And uh, again, thinkagainproductions.com. They can screen your documentaries there. They can sign up for your newsletter and your webinars right there, thinkagainproductions.com, right? Absolutely. Sign up for the newsletter. There's a lot more coming. We're going to enter into the study of the end of time. So come and join us. Ali, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. All right, back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. But I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.